I will add my welcome to you all. It is good to see each and every one of you here this morning. We appreciate you being here, our members. Good to have you with us and our guests. We appreciate you being here as well. We appreciate you set aside the time to come here and to worship God on this the first day of the week. This congregation strives to do what we find in the New Testament that we are to do as a body, as the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's what we strive to do. We hope you are edified by our worship here this morning. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Thank you, Mickey, for leading that song. Mickey sent me an email, said he was going to be in town, and would, would, I, would, he, would we like for him to lead singing, and of course we always do. And I asked if he would lead that song because it ties in with the message I wanted to bring you this morning about overcoming the world. And what a beautiful song that is. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Have you ever stopped to consider that we can overcome the world through our faith? Faith is so very important. We've been studying Hebrews chapter 11, the, the chapter on faith. We've been looking at those heroes, shall we say, of faith. that The Holy Spirit has, has preserved for us in that great chapter. These men and women who demonstrated their faith in God. And we know how important it is because verse 6 of chapter 11 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So we know how very important our faith is. Our faith bridges that gap between the things that are unseen, the things that we hope for that are unseen, and the reality of those things. Verse 1 tells us that in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And, and by our faith, we can overcome the world. And that's not just a, a catchy thing to say in a song. That comes directly from Scripture. Look in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Beginning of verse 1. Read with me there. It says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Look verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So not just a catchy song title, but something directly from Scripture. Our faith begins with believing in the good news of Jesus the Christ. This is necessary for our salvation. Verse 1 says that if we do, we are born of God. Your Bible might say we are begotten of God. He is begotten of God. This means that we become a child of God. And as children, we are to love others who are born of God. These are our brothers and sisters. These are our brethren. Those who are born of God. And in so doing, we demonstrate our love for God. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments in verse 3. There's a lot of love going on here. Love of our brethren, the love of God, keeping his commandments. 
And being born of God, being a child of God, we overcome the world. We read about the overcoming in the messages to the seven churches in Asia. We've been looking at those on Sunday evenings. The message to those who overcome. Jesus in, in these churches and the messages that are going to these churches, he says, he that overcomes will have the hidden manna. We'll have a white stone with his new name. We'll have authority to rule over nations. We'll have the morning star. We'll have white garments. We'll have his name not erased from the book of life. He'll be, he will be a pillar in the temple of God. We will wear the name of God and the city of God and the new name that has been given to Jesus. And we will sit with Jesus on his throne. Talk about overcoming the world. Further on in Revelation, John describes a scene where the saints overcome the world. Look with me over in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Here, beginning in verse 7, it says, And there was a war in heaven. If you remember about Revelation, these, John is told to write down the things that he sees. These are images that are given to John. And he's seeing these images. And it's telling a story. And remember, the, the, the story, the, the message in Revelation is in the message and not in the symbols. So think about that as we go forward. And there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and, to, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love life even to death. For this reason, rejoice. O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Even though, uh, even though Satan is waging war against God and his angels, he is overcome. And it says here in our text that he's overcome by three things. He's overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And he's overcome by the word of their testimony. And he's overcome by them not loving their life, even to death. So this morning, let's consider each one of these things in a little bit more detail. So we start there with the blood of the Lamb. Ephesians 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of our Lord Jesus makes this relationship with him possible. There is no other way that we come into that relationship with God except through the blood of Christ, through the blood of the Lamb. Jesus told his disciples in John 6, verse 53, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
you have no life in you. Now, this was a stumbling block for many of the disciples. They didn't quite understand. And Jesus wasn't talking about physically, of course, eating the Son of Man, drinking his blood. Talking about the spiritual things. His blood also marks the covenant between us and God. Hebrews 13, beginning verse 20, says, Now may the God of peace who brought you up, our Lord Jesus, from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing to his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory forever and ever. Amen. That blood marks the covenant that we have between God and us. A covenant that was brought about by blood. And his blood cleanses us of our sins. Devin mentioned it as we were gathered around the table to remember the body and the blood of our Lord. His blood cleanses us from our sins. 1 John 1 and verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Without the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot be forgiven of sin. It makes that possible. Revelation 1 and verse 5 says, And from Christ Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kingdom of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. And one last verse, Revelation 7 and verse 14. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's why you have to read Revelation and understand the message and not the symbols. How will you wash something and make it white if you wash it in blood? The idea is we are purified. We are purified by the Lord, by his blood. That's what makes those robes white. That's what makes our garments white, spotless, and without sin. God has provided for us through his grace and mercy the first thing that we need to overcome the world. And that is the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God, through his grace and mercy, has provided that thing for us, that first thing we need as we overcome the world. The next thing that we need and the next thing that is listed here in our text is the word of their testimony. Back in Revelation 12, in verse 11, it says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Well, whose testimony are we talking about? Look back up in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. Our brethren, that's who the them is. That's who's their testimony, our brethren. These are those who died for the cause of Christ. Look back in chapter 6 of Revelation. <clears throat> Chapter 6, Revelation, verse 9. It says, And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony, which they had maintained. 
testimony. Testimony is defined as evidence or proof provided by the existence or appearance of something. In religious terms, it means a public recounting or religious conversion or experience. Testimony. John is telling of the vision he saw here, where evil was overcome by the word of God and the testimony of those who kept his word. He's seeing this played out as a scene in heaven, overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and the testimony of their word. The great battle between Jesus and Satan is described in chapter 12. It's a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle that John is looking into. Those who died for the cause of Christ are the ones who fought this battle. You get that here from verse 9. Those who had died, those who have been slain because of the word of God and their testimony. Those are the ones in the battle. Those are the ones who overcame Satan, the dragon. But the battle is not over. The battle continues. In Ephesians verse six, uh, chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world's forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. The battle still rages on. We are in this battle. And it's a spiritual battle. Turn over there to Ephesians 6. We continue in the battle, and we constantly beat down the forces of evil. And we do it on the same battlefield, and with the same weapons. The word of God, and our testimony. Ephesians 6, picking up in verse 13. It says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to, be, that you may be able to resist the devil in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We still do battle on the same battlefield, and with the same weapons. That sword, the sword being the word of God. So we're perfectly equipped to do battle in this realm. The third thing, the third way that these overcame the dragon, the devil, the serpent of old, Satan, the third way they overcame the world was by not loving their lives, even to the point of death. Back in Revelation 6. We read there verse 9. Let's read it again and go down to verse 11. And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, 
And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were to be killed even as they had been, should be completed also. These are the saints that have been slain for the cause of Christ. These are the ones that loved God more than life itself. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we love God more than we love our own lives? In Luke 14, verse 26, Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He who comes to me and does not hate his own life cannot be my disciple. What does that mean to us? How do we hate our own life? What it means is God must be first. God must be first and foremost in everything a Christian does. Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek God first, putting him first, even to the point of hating our own lives. This scene here in Revelation shows us the condition of those who die in Christ. It tells us those who put God first, even in the face of the death, even in the face of their own death. And these are ones that overcome evil. And like in Ephesians 6, we must continue in this battle. Revelation 12 and verse 17, So the dragon was enraged with the woman. This woman represents God's covenant people. The woman represents God's covenant people from which the Savior was born. The dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's us. We are those children if we are a child of God. And we must hold to the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And why? Revelation 2.10 reminds us, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Some translations say until death. Some translations say unto death. But the idea is we must be faithful even in the face of death. Jesus is telling the church there in Smyrna, that they must remain faithful their whole lives. And if they do, verse 11 says, they will not be hurt by the second death. And what is that second death? A little later on in Revelation it tells us. Revelation 21, verse 8, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... Their part will be in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jesus' message to the brethren there in Smyrna, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, and the second death will have no power over you. You'll, be not, you'll not be hurt by the second death. We have that same exhortation, that we must remain faithful, even to the point of our own death. We talk often about how we're not really persecuted by our beliefs in this country. It's not so all over the world. Some places it's hard to be a Christian. 
Some places you stare at death in the face for being a Christian. Would you remain faithful to that point? Jesus exhorts us to do so. The message in Revelation here is that's how we overcome evil. That's how we overcome the world. Romans 8, beginning verse 37. This is what Brad read a minute ago. But in all things we overwhelmingly conquer. Not just that we beat. Not just that we win by a field goal, if you'll allow the analogy. Scripture says we overwhelmingly conquer. With all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Revelation 12 tells us this scene in heaven about how these saints overcame the devil, Satan, and his angels by the blood of the Lamb, by their testimony, and by their remaining faithful even in the face of death. Faith is a victory that overcomes the world. And through our faith, we overwhelmingly conquer the world. Not just a little bit. Not just squeak by. Paul tells the Romans, we overwhelmingly conquer. John says there in, in 1 John 5, that we are born of God if we believe in Jesus if we believe Jesus is the Christ, we are born of God. That means we become a child of God. And we are born of God through the waters of baptism. That is how we come in contact with the blood of the Lamb. We hear the word of God. We believe the message that it tells us. We understand that we have to make a change in our life. We have to turn from the road that we're on, the path that we're following, and turn to God. If we understand that, the last thing we have to do before we are baptized is confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Just like that Ethiopian eunuch did. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Philip stopped the chariot and they went down in the waters and he baptized him. And when he did, he came up out of that water. He went, went on his way rejoicing. We come up out of that water a new man, a new woman, washed of our sins in the blood of the Lamb. If you have not submitted to being baptized, and you're not a child of God, there's only one way to come to the Father, and that's through the Son. And he has given us that way. 1 Peter 3, 21, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience. That's how we are saved from our sins. Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That is what we do, what we must do to come unto our Lord.
to be called a child of his. If you have not responded to that gospel call, the choice is before you. If as a child of God you've stumbled, if you're no longer living the life that you should be living, then you need to repent of that. 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins to him, he is just and, and righteous to forgive us, washing, cleaning us of all unco- uh, uncleanness, unrighteousness. He's able to do that. If you have need, if you need to respond to the gospel call, or if you need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known by coming forward as together we stand to encourage you.